Hey, Ding Dongs, I'm Jamie. I'm Richard. And this is Explain It to Jamie, the political comedy podcast in which I, Jamie, a politically curious and innocent young man, have the complicated political happenings of the world explained to him by his very politically savvy friend, Richard Lamb. I'm so politically savvy, you guys. I'm so politically savvy that I knew about Bernie Sanders before he was born. Whoa. That's right. I'm a time cop. You're all under arrest from the future. I'm so politically savvy, I still don't know who Bernie Sanders is. <laughs> why, why? I meant to say unsavvy. Oh, God. How fucking early is it? Um, how's it going, Rick? It's going good, man. It's going good. In the last week here in New York City, so just trying to enjoy my time in the concrete bunghole where dreams are made up, <laughs> as Tina Fey says. Yeah. Did she say that? As T- Tina Fey says, Jay-Z says on 30 Rock. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's been nice. It's cooled off here. It's like a balmy 68 degrees, as they say in America speak. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'm just kind of... You know, enjoying my time and, and looking forward to coming home to Canada. 68 degrees. Now, isn't that twice as hot as the sun? <laughs> <laughs> I believe you're right, yeah. That's right. Uh, In fact, I'm a being of pure energy now. I've transcended all of my material desires, and I am a living extension of the sun itself. Uh, that's the dream. That I still hate wh- stuff and just want to complain about everything. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been enlightened at all. I just like can move at the speed of light sure when uh when people ask me what uh, my end goal is uh for going into acting i always tell them to become a being of pure energy and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah um okay well, what do you say we do a, a, a podcast <laughs> i think that that's a wonderful idea yeah, rather um, than just subject strangers to our uh our catching up yeah um <laughs> So, uh, so Jamie, what is it that you want to learn about this week? American political parties. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, we've been, we've been hot on uh, Canada stuff lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, like, one impetus for me to, to go American. Two is, like, I, 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 I'd like to have a bit... I, you know, it's nice to get specific... Um, cutting pieces of information um, as we do so often. But I, I think in this one, I'd like to get a, a bit of a broader sense of what the American political system is like. Uh, yeah. that, that can help just as much. Yeah, and I think that like for most people, they know about the American political parties and what they are and vaguely what they stand for. But I don't know. It's always worth going into what they are and what they actually stand for, and especially like what they don't talk about as much as what they do talk about. Um, yeah, it's it's useful, especially in a two party system, to really sort of examine what the assumptions of the system are that are kind of masked by the fact that it's a two party system, right? Like, um, and we'll get into this. Mm. Blah 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 blah. Save some of your bullets for later, Richard. I learned that in acting school. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I learned that when I became fused with the sun and part of the sun's <laughs> ecosystem. What else did you learn? I learned that turtles <laughs> are actually computers. Wow. Look it up. That's why Look I love. Up. That's why I love Richard. I can throw him literally any ludicrous Chris <laughs> question that comes out of my brain, and he will come up with pure, solid fucking gold. Yeah, that was. <laughs> in, chisel that shit on my tombstone. Yeah. I want to. That's the hill I want to die on. 
I want to ride that donkey into the fucking sunset, everyone. Uh, yeah, baby. Speaking of riding something into a sunset, what do you say we ride into the sunset of this theme song? That's actually the sound a turtle makes when it's processing a difficult algorithm. <laughs> you know what's crazy and I'm really proud of is that I was also going to do that exact same joke. And I, that also makes me deeply ashamed of both of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean, Jamie? Oh, We're amazing. Oh, nothing. Um, um, okay, so Jamie, what do you know about America's political parties? One is made of donkeys and the other one is made of elephants. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually like... A hundred percent correct. Yeah, I know. It's like everything. reverse. It's like reverse Noah's Ark up in this mofa. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like quick, get all the elephants into this one room right. and then seal it from the outside. <laughs> yeah, it's like locking a thousand chimpanzees with a thousand typewriters in a room, and they'll write Shakespeare. If you yeah. lock a thousand donkeys and a thousand elephants in in a room with uh, uh, like a uh, a pen and paper they'll write the constitution they will, they will, of the united they'll create states an extremely <laughs> bad way to do health insurance yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah okay so why don't uh, what what say we start there what's with the what's with all, all the elephants and the donkeys rick well it's actually kind of an interesting story in order actually let's go through the history of the republican part the, the, the political parties and it, it's kind of like an organic stop along the way for both of them i'm not gonna lie um, to you richard the only reason i suggested this topic was because i wanted to know more about why they chose elephants and dogs <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so um the, the one of those things that came around first was the donkeys for the republican part no for the democratic par- yeah democratic party yeah you got yeah, it. the donkeys for the democratic party um, and that came around in when the Democratic Party became the Democratic Party was in the 1820s. And the president at the time was Andrew Jackson. Um, actually, technically, he was only elected for the first time in 1832. But he was the Democratic Party became called the Democratic Party in the 1820s. Jackson was elected the president in 1832. And he was the first like populist in America, the way that we would call people call Donald Trump a populist. Um, so people often compare Trump and Jackson actually. He campaigned by saying like, look, all of the people who run for who are in the government are these like shitty northern elites who look down on the average person and don't get it. I believe that the government shouldn't be interfering in people's lives. It should be like a small government thing. And people really liked that message, partly also because the, the guy he was running against, John Quincy Adams, was like really hella corrupt and shitty. Um, and and his his government was just kind of removed from the people. So so uh, Andrew Jackson won, and when he got into office, Congress was still Republican. It was like, or they weren't Republicans yet; they were Federalists, um, like the other party. And so whenever Congress tried to pass stuff, Andrew Jackson would veto it um, because he believed the government shouldn't interfere in people's lives. So mm-hmm. he would, like veto almost everything that Congress tried to do, except for like extremely, extremely essential services. And because of that, political cartoons at the time often compared him to a donkey. Mm. Also, because his name is Jackson, and they considered him a real jackass. jackass. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, okay, so I was, I, the I donkey, wanna... the, the image of the donkey came to be associated with the Democrats from this time. 
Okay, cool. Qu- a question for you. Uh, I'm going to actually, could you expand a bit more on, on populism? Because that is a term I hear pretty regularly. It's one of those words that like when I hear it in context, I feel like I understand what's being said, but I don't understand fully what the word means. Yeah, it just means like creating a political platform, a political campaign, like a movement by appealing to the average person and having the average person as the engine of your political campaign. Now, you would think that all political campaigns would have the average person as their engine, but um, it refers more to like, if you if you think about like the Barack Obama election, the first one, you know, there were all these stories of like, he had, he raised tons of money, but he had like a hundred times as many individual donors as the Republican Party who were all donating like five dollars, right? Like that's like populism. That's right. like a popular movement. It's being supported by lots and lots of normal people instead of by a key number of huge players. Right. It's like why vanilla ice cream is the most popular ice cream flavor. <laughs> yeah. It's it's or it's like um like what else? Why Kit like? Kat is the most powerful chocolate bar. I can go all day, Rick. What do you, which one do you? Yeah, like? yeah, yeah. Why? Uh, well, yeah, well, Kit Kat's not the vanilla ice cream of chocolate bars. Kit Kat's very specific. Apparently, Kit Kat is the most popular chocolate bar in the world. Well, I mean, it's amazing. Because the least amount of people dislike it. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. I think Kit Kats are great. I think they're genius. <laughs> you can yeah. share them. Yeah. Give me a break. There's a song? Exactly. <laughs> um yeah. So populism just refers to, it, it, and it also kind of exists in opposition to like, um, to like an elite, right? So it's like appealing to the people instead of to the elites. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 that makes sense. So that's interesting, though, that because uh, Andrew Jackson was like, kind of a shitty dude, wasn't he? Yeah, he was kind of a shitty dude and populism you know hitler was a populist like populism is not always associated it's not necessarily good or bad it just kind of is a method of gaining political power right no i meant i meant more along the lines of like the democrats choosing a hilarious cartoon to represent their party that is in itself a metaphor for a hilariously shitty dude yeah i mean both of them the animal metaphors for the parties kind of come from not necessarily flattering flattering uh portrayals of them the republicans one is a lot more flattering than the democrats one but is it because elephants um, never forget (laughs) <laughs> yeah, actually, it was because um, it was because in the okay, let's 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 do a fast <laughs> survey timeline of the whole thing. It's just gonna yeah, make yeah. it make so much more sense. Yeah, yeah. Hit so me. so political parties aren't technically part of the like constitution or the structure of the government. They're not like written into existence by the structure of the government, but they form kind of organically whenever people disagree and in most in basically all democracies parties have formed even though i don't think any of those democracies have parties as part of their constitution right so you don't have to have parties but you always end up having them anyway um and generally whenever people disagree about something they form into factions right so they like take sides and then they try to get political power to do the stuff they want to do so the first big disagreement in America was about like federalism and about how much control the federal government should have over the states, right? Mm. The famous similar to Canada. Yeah, that's right. And the first party was called the Federalist Party, and it was led by Alexander Hamilton. 
and supported by George Washington and John Adams and and kind of several of the founding fathers. And then the, the second party formed who were the people who didn't want federalism, and they were called the Anti-Federalists, and they were led by Thomas Jefferson. Um, and there was a pretty clear north-south divide between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, right? Um, st- like the rights of states to... Uh, govern themselves and determine what they wanted to do was a lot more important to the people in the South and the people in the North. Um, and super quickly, th- this that kind of disagreement becomes all about slavery, like within a couple a couple years. And it becomes sort of the defining party issue of the 19th century in America. So, and the, and the anti-federalists realized pretty quickly that it's pretty shitty having your party named after what you're not mm-hmm. and like completely defined by the other guys. So they changed their name to, wait for it, the Democratic Republicans. Uh-huh. Um, so there were this, the Democratic Republicans were like this, the party of the South, the party of states' rights, right? And the, the federalists were the party of more like the party of the north the party of a strong central government where the the central government could tell the states what to do and have kind of the final say uh over what was going to happen um the the federalists changed their name to the whigs kind of in like the early 19th century so for a while it's like the elections are between the whigs and the democratic republicans um and then you, and then the Democratic Republicans, as we just said, in the 1820s, they changed their name to just the Democrats, the Democratic did Party. The, did Whig mean the same thing then that it does now? It's like W H I G. Like, like um, the I Tories thought maybe the because Whigs. it was on the north, it's on the top, and so the, America <laughs> yeah. wears it yeah. like a wig. That's right. Like, <laughs> we're the South's hat, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, like um, the the traditional political parties in England were the Tories and the Whigs. Um, and so they they took the name from there. Oh, that's why I was confused because originally you said Whigs, and but when yeah. you said Whigs, yeah, it all made sense. Whigs. <laughs> um, there were also always starting from pretty early. There were always third mm. parties. Like you've noticed already, America has a two party system. That's what we say. Mm. There's two major parties. They occupy sort of slightly different places on the political spectrum. They have kind of sort of different issues that are priorities for them. And generally speaking. Americans have a choice between supporting one of those two parties. There are always smaller third parties, but they tend to be very much part of the fringe conversation. Mm. But in the kind of early, the, like the early mid 19th century, this very important third party emerges. It's called the Free Soil Party. And what that doesn't mean, like I initially thought, that at every grocery store you hand out a bucket full of Mother Nature's <laughs> finest brown earth to any honest person who wishes to cultivate a garden of, you know, earthly riches. That's the American um, dream. Yeah, that's right. Just a, a bucket full of hot dirt. <laughs> Um, no what that meant was slavery right um and at the time okay so at the time the huge the huge debate is slavery pro-slavery or or, uh, anti-slavery free soil is that what you're asking they were anti-slavery but at the time the debate about slavery was not about getting rid of slavery it was about when new states enter the united states are they slave states or not right Uh because the balance of power is essentially between slave states and non-slave states right 
So if you let a new state in and it's a non-slave state, you have to then let a slave state in or else, because if you let in two non-slave states, suddenly the non-slave states are going to be able to tell the slave states to do whatever they want, right? And that's a problem for the slave states. Um, so, and at the time, in the language of the time, to be anti-slavery meant you were against new slave states coming in. If you wanted to get rid of slavery, even in the places where it already existed, you were an abolitionist, right? You wanted to abolish slavery. Oh. Those are, and that's like in a meaningful political distinction at the time. So they're um, not actually, in, when they're talking about that, they're not actually talking about like literal slaves working in the fields. They're talking about slave states. Yes. That's correct. When you're anti-slavery in the 19th century, all that means is you're like, we shouldn't add any more slave states into the into the, into right. the union. Um, now, and and anti-slavery was a very mainstream northern position, like a lot because nor the north. Uh, there were no slaves in the north. There was like a, a parallel, a kind of like the border of Mississippi, like a longitudinal parallel. And above that point, there was supposed to be no slavery. And below that point, slavery was allowed. Um, but that's that rule started getting kind of bent when new states were added, and it caused all kinds of crazy political tension. But um, in the north, being anti-slavery was like a pretty mainstream position. But being an abolitionist was like considered fringe and kind of crazy right? right it was like how like it was considered the radical radical like left of what you could be in the north and the free soil party were like the abolitionists decided to get together and make a party so what that they wanted slavery to be abolished throughout the entire union right um including in the states where it already existed which would be obviously a massive and crazy change um now, what happened was um, the Democratic Republicans were, the De sorry, the Democrats were winning a bunch of elections, and the Free Soil Party was actually becoming big enough that it was becoming a problem in the North. Like, it was taking votes, enough votes away from the, the Whigs that the, the Whigs kind of took a look at it and were like, uh, maybe we need to get these guys on side. They were getting about 10% of the vote by the time, by like their last election. Uh, in the 1850s. So the Free Soil and the Whig Party merged into a single party called the Republican Party. Right. And their first candidate for president was Abraham Lincoln. Now, at, at the beginning of his career, Abraham Lincoln wasn't actually an abolitionist. He was just anti-slavery, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when Lincoln was elected president, the South, because he had these abolitionist people in his party, the South kind of fear-mongered that he would be an abolitionist, and that was the wedge that caused the Civil War. It caused South Carolina to secede from the Union, and then blam, 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 the Civil War happened, abolition happens, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so now we have the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, like, you know, like the, the parties that we know now, and they continue on in this form until the present day. The Democrats are actually the oldest political party in existence because they've existed since the 1820s um, in the exact form that they're in now. Right, and they've had the help from the Illuminati. That's right, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And, and now that I'm part of the sun, I can tell you that Ra, the sun god, big fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, so, yeah, so, so the Civil War happens, um, and after the Civil War, there is like 70 years of almost like crushing Republican rule. Like the Republicans get so much momentum from being the party that won the Civil War that they're so, so difficult to defeat for and well into the 20th century. Like from mm. the 1860s until 1915, there's like 
only three Democratic presidents for almost 70 years. Um, and this is where the elephant thing comes in because political cartoons started drawing the Republican Party as an elephant because it was so powerful, like it couldn't be stopped. Right. Um, yeah, and this, this tactic also, like this electoral tactic, it was, it was called waving the bloody shirt when it was like, sir, we have a, a problem with this policy that you have towards new, you know, dye import, like indigo in, importation to make dyes. And they're like, we won the fucking Civil War. Are you going to tell me <laughs> that you're up my ass about dyes? Like that's, that was kind of like their, their move, you right. know? Um, yeah. And so they, they use that to to win a lot of elections that they probably shouldn't have because there was like some shit ass presidents in the late 19th century, like a lot of corruption, a lot of really bad administration in a lot of ways. Right. Um, they had the Trump card. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. mean, a hundred percent. Um, yeah. And, and the Democrats really struggle in this time. Like they, they sort of are the, um, this is this is where we're in the era where like for us today you almost have to think of this the parties as being the opposite of what they are today because the republicans are the party of lincoln so they're like the party of abolition the party of the emancipation proclamation they're considered like the civil rights party like basically every african-american person who was a former slave or the descendants of former slaves in america votes republican in every single election without question for almost a hundred like not a hundred yeah a hundred years maybe 80 years right, right. for a long long time right because you can't vote against them no and in fact when it finally into the 20th century when people began to vote for the democrats because the democrats started to be the civil rights party there were old black people who would turn the picture of Lincoln in their house around to face the wall so they couldn't see them voting for the Democrats. Wow. Like that was how, like how much loyalty they kind of felt towards him. Right. Um, but because remember that, so in this time, the Democrats are the party of the South in the 1860s in the 19th century. So there's the ones who are kind of like the political party representing like segregation and stuff like that. They're trying to fight for the rights of like the old Southern status quo, even though there's emancipation. Um, and the Republicans, you know, there's a, obviously a lot of nuance here, but like most of them want some form of punishment on the South. The hardest ones want like all the slaveholding property to be divided among the slaves and you know for true justice the more moderate ones just want the slaves to go free and for everyone to stop worrying about it you know <laughs> which sounds mm -hmm. pretty familiar yeah. these days um but that was the debate back then too right um yeah and so and this continues on until about the 1920s um and like the the parties kind of occupy these positions right the party of the south versus the party of lincoln um and this goes on until the Great Depression, and during the Great Depression, the guy who turns like the guy who turns it all around is kind of FDR, right? Um, and his the when he articulates like the New Deal, this it's this new age for the Democratic Party, and it's kind of the Democratic Party's golden age. And FDR redefines the Democratic Party as being about creating this like strong central state that has all of these social programs designed to benefit the people in the society who are suffering, right? To create a strong state that will kind of, a welfare state that will catch you when you fall, that will keep people from falling below a minimum level of poverty and suffering and and be there to, and act in the interests of its people. Like he wasn't afraid of using the government to act in the interests of the American people. And that was a huge part of why he, uh, 
he he was so successful. Yeah, so FDR wins obviously wins on the New Deal. He gets voted in, and then this is kind of like the the status quo for and the next. Sorry, while. sorry, sorry. So what what what's the New Deal? The New Deal was the way that America tried to get itself out of the depression. And it created tons of new social programs designed to help Americans live their lives. Stuff like social security, like a, you know, a fixed income for old age or sick or disabled Americans comes about in the New Deal. It also involved a ton of like infrastructure projects and improvements. But the, the philosophy of it was that like the government will take a role in your everyday life if you're in trouble like the government's here to help you when you're in trouble not just you know be the thing that has the cops in the roads right right right, right. That's, and this you know, is it's funny i'm being transported back to when i was in grade 10 and like my teacher was like looking me in the eye and was like mar, 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 new deal jamie you yeah, understand yeah. and i was like got it <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely yeah um no, it's an important. It's important because a lot of people still think of the modern Democratic Party like this. It's the party of, you know, um, justice, economic justice. The party of the workers. Like this is when the the Democrats, the Democratic coalition involves a lot of labor unions, and so there was a lot of like labor rights happening. It was it was very worker focused. The average person's life got a lot better in this uh, in this part of the American history when the Democrats were the party of the New Deal. Um, and you know, all like our parents were born in the very tail end of the economic boom of this time, right? The post World War Two strong, you know, strong unions, good wages. You know, you could work at the grocery store and put yourself through university. Like that shit all came about because of the work the Democrats had put in for the, the twenty years before that, right? Mm. Um, and then in the sixties, the Democrats were the parties of the civil rights movement, right? So it was the Democrats who kind of. Um, you know, moved things forward with regards to desegregation, with gender rights, affirmative action, stuff like that. Those were all democratic kind of principles. And the Republican Party struggled to have an identity in this time too. They didn't have like a strong narrative about who they were. They were the, they were the party of like racism and bigotry in a lot of ways because that was like the interests who were left to be represented, right? Right. This it's this kind of kept continuing until the real moment of redefinition for the Republican Party is with, with Reagan in the 80s. And with Reagan, the Republicans kind of adopted this new sort of like small government, um, you know, f friendly to business, low taxes, kind of individualistic society um I, I, like view towards society of uh, vision of what society could be that they kind of still have to a certain extent today like the modern republican party really was born in the 80s with reagan um and with the work done at places like the heritage foundation which is a conservative think tank what's a think tank you probably hear that word a lot mm -hmm. a think tank is like think, you can think of it like a university that doesn't teach it only does research right so it's like all of these intellectuals who are brought together to just kind of like think through like if like it's like if you're a conservative think tank it's like okay we believe that um the in the market like the um, capitalist marketplace should be able to provide the best solutions for healthcare. but what do we have to do in order to create like the best government policies to make that happen my my understanding of think tanks and correct me if i'm wrong has always been like and maybe this is also a cynical way of thinking about them but like uh groups like proving thing like uh figuring out ways to prove things that i would like to be true 
<laughs> you know, like uh, like a, a global warming or whatever. We'll make a think tank full of smart um, people who can find ways to prove that global warming isn't real. Yeah, that's definitely not an unfair way to look at some of these places. Like, certainly there are shadier think tanks. There are much more, like, propagandist partisan think tanks. I mean, the hope is to there are some that are governed by, like, the scientific principle and by an earnest sense of inquiry into what they're trying to do. But yeah, generally speaking, think tanks are partisan. Like there's conservative think tanks and liberal think tanks. Um, and, and that's a big part of the kind of like think tank dynamic. Um, yeah. And so, so their work really led to like the intellectual foundations of the stuff that we're seeing now, you know, stuff like, um, the American Healthcare Act and and things like that that we've talked about many times. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of that that Republican Party is born in the eighties. Um, what's interesting is the Democrats also kind of abandon with Bill Clinton their kind of New Deal Democrats, welfare Democrat um, identity also, and become kind of a neoliberal party. Now we've talked about neoliberalism many times. I'll define it here just in case people aren't one hundred percent clear. But it's this kind of like um, weird <laughs> uh, post fifties like. Um, way of ideology where you you have like kind of a business focused capitalism as your economic ideology but you have the kind of like optics or the language of social progressivism right so you you're like yeah um you know that we should end racism racism's bad but then you're also like but we need to encourage businesses right mm -hmm. And so at the intersection of those things, at the places where the economics and the social progressivism meet, almost always the choice is made to go with the economics. And it's no accident, too, that um, most of the people who are in government have like deep ties to these businesses and things like that. Like This ideology did not arrive at our doorsteps due to some fluke. Right. Um, and we now we're a, We should do an episode on neoliberalism. Totally. Yeah, we should get... We should get the boys back on. We should get Anthony and Thomas back on and do neoliberalism. I'm sure they'd love that. Yeah. Um, okay. The the handymen are back in my dorm room that I'm staying in in New York. <laughs> so if you guys can hear um, loud talking, that's what that is. We can definitely um, hear it. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, so now we're at the present day. Um, and I thought I would share some interesting statistics. Sure. Or not like statistics. Like these are like approximate statistics. I looked them up. But cool. Before um, you share them, do you want to maybe ask if the handyman want to come in and hear the statistics? Yeah, I think I would like to. Yeah. Do that. Um, one second. Let me let me Google Translate how to say that in Spanish. <laughs> Got it. Um, uh, no. Okay. So so right now you know there's like 432 I think members of Congress. Um, the vast majority of them are white people. The vast majority of them are men. Um, currently, the Democrats have like the best records on what we would call like representation, quote unquote. Um, but like out of the 432 uh, representatives, is it 432 or 438? I can't be bothered to figure it out. It's a difference of six. It's something like that, you guys. Right, right. Sue me, um, <laughs> or don't sue me. Tweet at me and tell me what it is. Um, it, it, like this is about 120 female representatives, right? Compared to 320 men. Yeah. And there's like you know, f uh, 
40 or 50, I think, African-American senators and, and congressmen and women. And there Yeah, is. and that overlaps with, uh, with female, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. And then there's like 20 or 25 Hispanic and 20 Asians and two uh, indigenous Americans. Um, the Republican Party's numbers are generally much worse for representation. Like most of those people are all in the Democratic Party or like it's like, you know, for each underrepresented group, there's two thirds of those representatives will be in the Democrats versus the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And also the Republicans have no Asians. <laughs> like, I was like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's another thing. Um, almost all members of Congress and the Senate come from either a political background, like their job before they were a senator or a congressman was like they were in politics, they were on somebody's staff, they were part of the government, right? Like, um, so, or they're businessmen, or they're lawyers. Like those three groups make up almost, I think, 300 of the, of the senators and congressmen. So like almost everybody who's in the government is, comes from either business, law, or politics itself. After that, there's like a bunch of, there's like some doctors, there's like a 25 or so doctors. There's like 25 people who are like farmers or farm owners. There's like two artists. There's like one person whose prior profession was like comedian screenwriter and another person whose prior profession was artist. And I didn't see anybody from like a trade. Um, I didn't see anybody who was like a welder or an electrician or anything. There's some people from tech, like a couple people. Mm. Um, but that's a that's a criticism I've heard from of politicians uh, lately that I that I've thought is really interesting is that most politicians are lawyers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like and like you know in like uh, debate, uh, it, you know, is the art of arguing a point that you don't necessarily agree with yeah and like and so you know the uh, uh the idea that all of our politicians are lawyers is actually a dangerous one because you have a bunch of people who are trained to argue points that they don't necessarily believe versus having like you know teachers and artists and engineers and accountants and, and so on and so forth well and it just goes to show if we accept which i think almost everyone would that we all hold implicit biases that aren't really under our control and we can work to overcome them but we do still hold them based on who we are and how we've been trained and what we think that like there's a lot of the same implicit biases in the government right now in america right, right. like a lot of them the vast majority of them all come from the same backgrounds, the same, the same race, um, and the same gender. Like there are, well, most of them are white men who are from politics, business, and law, right? And and so anything in any interest that exists outside of the, that small narrow subset of the population, that's going to be doing. They're going to be doing work to even make that interest fully understood. You know, that's now that's just like a systemic thing in American politics because of who's in the government, and right. that goes across both parties. Right, both parties are made up of those people. <clears throat> right. I mentioned earlier too. We should talk probably about like a huge dynamic is that there's a two-party system. There's only really two significant parties, which means that whatever those two parties decide to disagree on, kind of becomes what mainstream politics is right so if you know if it's one thing for the democrats to be like ah oh, we should let trans people in the military that's the big thing today um on this day we're recording 
uh, Donald Trump just tweeted that he doesn't want to let trans people serve in the military anymore. Yeah. And yeah, so if the that. Republicans are like, yeah, we don't want that, and the Democrats are like, that's horrible, we do want that, then suddenly American politics is about where you stand on trans people in the military. And there's no um, really compelling other alternative to that, right? And that's weird. Mm. Um, and, and then and that also kind of masks the super loud debate about I mean, and I'm not trying to diminish the importance of the rights of trans people here. Uh, I'm just using this as an example of what's happening today. I think that trans people should be allowed to serve in the military. I also think you shouldn't serve in the military. <laughs> but, like, you shouldn't be discriminated against just because you're trans. And if the government's going to pay for soldiers' college, then the government should also be fine to pay for soldiers getting gender reassignment surgery, especially if it makes them better soldiers. Whatever. That's my take. Wow. I Okay. But you've... I Now, you've just something like kind of incendiary which I'm interested in is you don't think people should serve in the military yeah I mean I think that the military especially the American military as we've currently formulated it is a tool of a lot more uh, chaos and oppression than than it is good a lot of the time mm. you know if we had like a self-defense militia that would be a super different story but if you join the Canadian military, you're far more likely to just be like blowing up some brown teenager in another part of the world who doesn't really even care anything about Canada than you are to be, you know, heroically liberating somebody. That's right. just a kind of. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a sort of non-controversial fact. Maybe that's more controversial than I think, but right. Yeah, I think there are much better ways to create justice and work for a purpose in the world and to serve this country than to enter the military. Mm. I don't know. My grandpa who landed on Normandy Beach would have said the same thing and did it say that exact same thing to me. So, you know, <laughs> if I can play that card, I will play that card. Right, right. Um, okay, so but moving past that. So, so sure, the, so the Democrats and Republicans, they quibble over a lot of like small bullshit and again I'm not saying trans rights are small bullshit but I'm saying that like the Democrats are like the, their main difference with the Republicans right now is in these social issues but they are taking completely for granted economic issues right like the very like Capitalism. They both agree on that. They both agree on the importance of business. So, like, that's why Barack Obama gave um, the banks this, like, huge bailout, right? He just gave them tons of money to not fail during the financial crisis. And then there was so little oversight over where that money went and stuff like that. And that's almost kind of like a Republican policy, mm. you know? Um, there's not enough meaningful difference between the two parties. And I think that's why a lot of people are feeling very fatigued with the, the two parties and fatigued with the system and why so many people just didn't vote in the last election. Um, it's kind of the danger of the two-party system is it can get really stagnant, especially because the people who are in both of those parties are really similar to each other. Like, this is a thing that is an incontrovertible fact. Right. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of where we're at today. I feel like there's a lot of quibbling, right? There's a lot of point scoring, but there's not a lot of meaningful difference because they're so in, in because they're both the Democrats and the Republicans are such parties of business and right. capitalism. Their fundamental interest is in preserving business and capitalism. But as we've kind of talked about many times, one of our huge problems is that capitalism is kind of failing to solve 
the serious crises of our time. Right. And m so many people now are realizing that we need an alternative to capitalism or we ne at least need to create a value system that isn't just capitalism in order to solve global warming, in order to solve um, you know, the real problems of systemic racism and oppression and colonization. We need to start to value things that aren't just capitalism. Right, which is but why Bernie Sanders was so interesting. Yeah, and he's the most, still, <clears throat> he's, to this day, he's the most popular politician in America. Like, he has the most support in polls and things like that. Mm. And Bernie's interesting because he was on, he's an independent, right? Like, he's not, well, you hear this all the time, he's not a real Democrat. But it's because he never compromised on his values. Like, even when it was super, super unpopular, he would still say, like, we need single-payer health care. We, you know, we need to, we can't just let corporations kind of run away with our country and stuff like that. But that was not <laughs> as sexy an idea as it was now as it is now you know 25 years ago right right mm -hmm. what do you think would happen if he ran again like if trump on this next go around ran again and bernie ran against him yeah i think bernie would have beaten donald trump in the election if he if he had run against him i do think bernie would have won um because the forces that i think he just would have inspired more people to come out i think hillary clinton was uh, an uninspiring candidate for a lot of very vulnerable parts of the country. And and that's why the Electoral College burned her in the way it did. Now, you, you mentioned before we started recording, you have questions about the Electoral College. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to what? do like a, a mini explainer on the Electoral College? I sure as, sure as heck do. Okay. What, so what's the Electoral College? Because it seemed to fuck everything up, Richard. Okay, so basically, the Electoral College is a system of remember when we were talking about like confederation and like the big dilemma is how do you give every state a certain say in everything but then you also like let the large populations have a certain say in everything because if you if that's too out of balance then one of the two groups is going to feel fucked over and get pissed off right so the electoral college is like a way to extrapolate that into voting for the president so basically all it means is that every state is like weighted slightly differently um, so there is a first past the po there's like a, a first past the post election for um, who who is the president in every state. So once the parties nominate a candidate, like many people run for president in the U.S., but obviously it's only gone to a Democrat or a Republican since for for many 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 years. Um, and so once that happens, there's a first past the post election in each state. But then once whoever wins that wins all of the state's electoral college votes. So what, what that means is the electoral college is like a group of people who are elected across the country to represent their state. And it's those people who actually elect the president. So when you're voting for the president in your state, you're actually voting for who your electoral college delegates are going to vote for. Okay? Oh. So what you're doing as the individual voter is you're telling the people who represent you in the electoral college to vote for this candidate for president and the electoral college are the ones who actually vote in the president whoa so it's like an extra step now the electoral college people themselves don't have any individual power in theory they could like like um in theory they could Vote against vote, what vote you against vote their state, and that's called being a faithless elector. And there was some talk that there might be faithless electors in this election who would choose not to elect Donald Trump and would elect Hillary Clinton instead. It was just a fantasy in the end; it didn't end up happening. It would be pretty serious. 
you know, yeah. that would be something like on the lines of if the governor general decided to form a government with a different party than the one that got the majority. You know, like it would right. be like a big deal. <clears throat> Technically, they do have that power, but it would not be it would be a bad time. Right. Um, and the way that electoral college votes are tallied, like how many does each state have? Why are states worth different amounts, right? So all it is, is it's the number of senators in the state. So every, remember, every state has two, right? So every state starts with two electoral college votes, and then plus the number of Congress people they have. So Congress people are divided by population. So if your state has more Congress people, you have more electoral college votes. Right, and if your state has fewer, you have fewer electoral college votes. So it's just the number of senators plus the number of Congress people in a state. That's the number of votes you have, electoral college votes. Mm. And so that's why California and Texas and are worth so much, and you know, Connecticut's not worth Vermont. They're not worth very much. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And why did we pick an elephant for our symbol? <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're a Russian psyop. Vladimir Putin wanted us to, to t- tell as many of his scary stories as possible <coughs> to undermine hardworking American Democrats. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. For those of you that are curious, you have to go back and listen to our first episode. So. Yeah, that's where the elephant thing comes that's from. Where the elephant thing comes. From. It's wow, our the- least asked question. No one <laughs> ever asks what the elephant thing's about. Yeah, people ask me that sometimes. Really? <laughs> Every now and then. Every yeah, now yeah. Then. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. I don't have any further questions. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of like the, that's the long and short of it. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I find the fact that, um, like, Republicans and Democrats effectively, like, sort of switched places, like, a hundred years ago. I find yeah. that really interesting. Yeah. Um, and also, I didn't, I didn't. I mean, it, it seems apparent, but I didn't uh, realize that, of course, because Abraham Lincoln and the Republicans ended the Civil War, they had, like, a 70-year buffer of guaranteed votes. Yeah, and they had some garbage presidents in that time. There was actually, like, if you look at common rankings of, like, how good the presidents are from first to last, like, eight of the bottom ten presidents or something are in the 50 years after the Civil War. Like, there was a, it was a bad time for U.S. administration, but oh, a great right. time for the Republicans. Right. Who was the guy that was president for, like, a day? A Will, uh, there was William Henry Harrison. Maybe he died in, like, a month. Oh, okay. I thought there was a guy who quit because he didn't, like, he he got the job, realized how hard it was, and he quit. Are you thinking of Donald Trump, just mentally? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. If you know the answer, tweet it to us. There's so- yeah. I, there is someone, and I think it's in that time period. It's okay, maybe yeah. not a day, but it's, like, it's a crazy short amount of time, and it is because he was, like, effectively a coward and didn't realize how hard it was going to be. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, okay, sweet. Well, I... I hope you've learned you've learned a thing or two. Yeah. You, you rapscallion. I sure have, you sweet devil, you. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, uh, um, until next time, I guess next time we record, you'll be out of the sun and back in Toronto. That's right. I'll be back on Earth with you flesh beings. <laughs> yeah. Call you on the sun. <laughs> we with plebeians. You meat monkeys. <laughs> um, great. Well, I look forward to that. It'll be good to be back in the same room. I miss Me you, too, man. man. It'll be nice. I miss you too. Do you want to just kiss for the next five minutes of this podcast? Yeah, let's do it. Mm. 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 Uh, <laughs>
wish we could go for dim sum right now. Those Dude, fuckers I'm, closed it down. I know. Gentrification destroyed Jamie and I's favorite dim sum restaurant in Toronto, and it's really made us. I I, I feel lost. Like I don't have a place right now. Yeah, I we're you, that's. I, like I mean, we're gonna have to record another episode, but before that, you and I need to work out a. a you know what? We need to start. Sort of we need to start trying places out, and we need to find a new place. Yeah, we do. So, if you have yeah. any recommendations for dim sum restaurants in Toronto, preferably, oh, I guess you don't live in the West End anymore. Yeah, just anywhere in Toronto, let, send them in. Yeah, and if you have time, send in. I guess a topic that you want us to cover or whatever. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you have any feedback <laughs> or whatever, you know, add explain Jamie on Twitter, explain it to Jamie at gmail com. Find us on the Google. We're there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Thanks Richard, so much. Thanks for, for explaining. And no until next time, this has been explain it to Jamie. Woo!